right, good morning, good morning. Get my glasses out. I just turned 50, so you got to have these. (laughs) All right, well, good morning. As Dom mentioned, if you've been with us the past two Sundays or you're just joining us today, uh, we're in a six-week series on Jesus leading up to Easter. Um, Two Sundays ago, Pastor Billy kicked off our series on Jesus the Righteous. And last Sunday, we had a guest speaker, Scott Grabendike, teach on Jesus the Redeemer. Today, I'll be, ca- I'll be continuing our series on Jesus the Radical. Jesus the Radical. There's Jesus. He's getting radical right there. It's a pretty sick snap. But in all seriousness... And being more specific, the question I'll try to answer this morning as it relates to Jesus the Radical is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus in radical obedience? What does it mean to follow Jesus in radical obedience? Would you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, we just thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather as brothers and sisters, to gather as a family unto you and for you. And God, I just confess before my friends this afternoon, just asking God that you would help me. I just declare that apart from you, I can do nothing. So I ask God you would grace me, that you would anoint me, that you would help me to communicate clearly your word and the truths and the things that you have put on my heart. God, I ask you to anoint your very word this morning. I'm asking God that your word would go out in demonstration of the Spirit's power and that as your word illuminates minds and stirs affections and penetrates hearts, that you would help your people, that you would help your children, your sons and daughters to respond to your truth, to respond to your love, to respond to your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, for us to get a better understanding of the word radical, I thought it would be good to use another word related to radical, which is the word extreme. I'm sure most of you have heard of the X Games, which is an annual and now international extreme sports event that is basically the Olympics of extreme sports that features extreme sports such as skateboarding, freestyle motocross, BMX, snowboarding, snow, snowmobile freestyle, which is totally nuts if you've ever seen that. Guys on snowmobile doing backflips back on snowmobiles. Totally crazy. With athletes such as Tony Hawk, Travis Pastrana, Sarah Burke, Sean White, Dave Mira, Bob Burnquist, and many others. Although extreme sports are some of the most popular and fastest growing sports in the world today, being labeled extreme or even radical in today's post-9-11 culture isn't necessarily good 
or even politically correct. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you have felt the pressure or have been influenced from culture, the media, or even close friends and relatives not to be extreme or radical in your beliefs when it comes to your faith as a believer. And if you are in any way radical in your faith as a Christian, you have maybe been labeled extreme, closed-minded, a legalist, or even a radical right-winged fundamentalist. A favorite saying amongst people today in our culture is this. They say, do everything in moderation, or it's all good. Another popular saying amongst Christians is, try to find a balance. I'm always hearing in relation to our faith and walks with Christ from other well-meaning Christians, you need to find a balance. In our sharing the gospel, find a balance. In our giving of our time, treasure, and talents, find a balance. In our service to Christ, find a balance. In our devotion to Jesus, find a balance. That's how we usually counsel one another or even try to encourage one another. When someone's really excited about sharing the gospel and they're just doing it in radical ways, we like, hey, brother, hey, sister, don't get too radical. You don't want to offend anybody. Find a balance. Try to find a balance. Or if you know someone really gives generously of their time, treasure, or talents, maybe we like, try to counsel them not to give so generously, but hey, try to find a balance. Or if you know someone who serves Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they pour themselves out like a drink offering, and you're fearful that they might burn themselves out, this is what you'd say to them. Hey, try to find a balance. Or maybe someone who's really excited about Jesus and devoted to Jesus, find a balance. Yet, I do not find anywhere in the Bible in relation to our faith and call as Christians where God calls us to find a balance or to do all things in moderation. The Bible tells us as followers of Jesus to be people that, to be people that are led by the Spirit, to be people that walk by faith, walk by faith and not by sight. To be people that are zealous for the Lord. The Christian life and call is not a life of balance and moderation, but a life of radical obedience, radical devotion to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, in our call to be radical for Jesus, love must always be the foundation and motivation for our obedience. If love is not the foundation because of God's grace and love is not the motivation because of God's mercy, we will become legalistic Pharisees. Our radical obedience for Jesus Christ must come from a place of delighting ourselves in the Lord and never from a sense of duty. With that said, let's take a look at Jesus the Radical and some of the things Jesus did and said that made him so radical. 
When you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, you will see that Jesus was radical. His radical love. His radical humility. His radical forgiveness. His radical compassion. His radical obedience. I want to touch briefly on a couple of Jesus' radical attributes that we see in his life and ministry, as well as some of the radical things Jesus said and even commanded. First, his radical love and compassion. In Luke 5, verses 12 and 13, when Jesus healed the man covered with leprosy who fell on his face before him and cried out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. And said, be clean. And the man was healed. And as many, for many of you, you know that leprosy at that time was one of the most dreaded and feared diseases. All of society, the religious, the secular, the young and old, completely rejected and banished those who had leprosy. And yet Jesus reached out and he touched this man and he healed him. What society and that culture rejected, Jesus actually reached out and touched. And in the same way, we as God's people need to reach out and touch the rejected, the downtrodden, the broken, the lost, with the love and compassion of Jesus in extreme and in radical ways. Secondly, his radical forgiveness. In Luke 23, verses 32 through 43, when Jesus forgave those who crucified him on a cross, the account says that those in the crowd, the religious rulers, the Roman soldiers, and even one of the criminals hung on a cross mocking Jesus. They sneered. They mocked. They hurled insults at him. And Jesus responds by saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. The heart and foundation of Christianity is forgiveness motivated by love because of Jesus' work and atonement on the cross. Because of the love and forgiveness Jesus demonstrated on the cross, we as God's people are called to be radical like Jesus and forgive those who have sinned against us. So we may not only see that Jesus demonstrated and lived out his radical attributes, but also we, we will see what Jesus said, what Jesus commanded. He commanded some really extreme and some really radical things, such as in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, 
and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In Matthew 7.21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But one of the most radical things Jesus ever said is found in Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying straight up, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. We cannot serve Christ and be on mission without taking up the cross. It's like impossible. It's impossible to serve Christ and be on mission unless we are willing to take up the cross. His original audience knew exactly what Jesus was talking about, what the cross was and what it meant. They were in no way thinking about a piece of jewelry. The cross was a place where people died. People died horrific deaths on the cross. It's only, what, it's only ever what it was meant to for the ears of the hearer. It was only ever what was meant when Jesus was referring to. He was referring to death. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was saying in some way a prerequisite for following him was death. He meant death to self, obviously, which can mean all sorts of things for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's heavy. When Christ calls a man, he, comes, he, he bids him come and die. A major part of becoming a Christian is making the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. And that means us saying, I'm no longer Lord. I'm no longer God. I'm no longer calling the shots. It's no longer my will be done, but his will be done. That's where we get off the throne of our lives and put Jesus on the throne. Take up your cross and deny ourselves. There are many different ways that plays out in our daily lives in relation to our wants, our desires, our wills, and even our dreams. And there are big ways and small ways in which this plays out in our lives every day. And we need to be reminded what 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 says. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your very lives, that we are no longer our own. If you are a Christian here this morning, that we are no longer our own, that our lives have been purchased. Our lives have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. As been mentioned so far, there are many things Jesus did and said that are radical. But the most radical thing Jesus ever said was to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is one of the most radical things Jesus ever said. 
laying down your own life. Ultimately, Jesus demonstrated his radicalness by going to the cross. The radical obedience of Jesus being our example, as it says in Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see what it's saying? Jesus just didn't die for our sins. He died. He suffered a horrific death. Death on a, on a cross. That's radical obedience. And yet, that's radical love. That is radical love. In light of, of who Jesus is and the radical things Jesus did and said, you may be asking yourself, what does that mean for me personally? Or what does that mean for us as a couple or a family? You may remember that I asked the question at the beginning of the message today, what does it mean to follow Jesus in radical obedience? The simple yet radical and sobering answer is death, dying to self. But you might ask, what does that mean? What does that even look like? And for some of us, when I say, what does radical obedience mean or look like? You may be thinking, it's the kind of obedience that's described in Hebrews 10 when the early church found out that some of their friends were in jail and at the cost of the plundering of their property, they joyfully went to the jail to visit them. That's radical obedience. When you do such a thing joyfully, or like Moses when he had the opportunity to stay in the posh palaces of Egypt and chose rather to share ill treatment with the people of God because he looked joyfully to the reward, that's radical obedience. Or like Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he said, Here I am, Lord, send me. That's radical obedience. Or St. Paul counting everything as refuse in order to gain Christ. That abandonment of all his rich pedigree and all the easy life that he might have lived for the sake of obeying the call of the Lord and gaining Christ. That's radical obedience. Or like those martyrs in the book of Revelation who were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. That's radical obedience. Or like Jesus said, taking up your cross daily and following him precisely because if you lose your life, you will find it. That's radical obedience. For many of us, when we talk about radical obedience or hear about radical obedience, it's only natural where our minds and our conversations go. We tend to think that radical obedience is being a martyr and dying for Jesus, or being a missionary overseas, or being ill-treated for our faith in Jesus. Yes, this is radical obedience. 
God may call some of us to be missionaries overseas, and that is rad. God may call some of us to be martyrs, and that's heavy. And God may call some of us to choose ill treatment with the people of God rather than stay in posh places and live in comfort, and that is good. But when we only think of these grand and lofty callings as radical obedience, we can tend to forget at times that radical obedience is simply hearing and obeying the voice of God in our lives and obeying his written word by being willing to die to ourselves and follow Jesus. I'm in no way trying to lower the bar of God's calling on our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when it comes to radical obedience. What I'm hoping to remind us and encourage us today is this. What's radical may be just showing up to love on someone who is hurting or who is sick. This could be your neighbor, a friend, or a complete stranger. An example of just showing up is a story found in Mark 5, verses 21 through 43 of a synagogue leader named Jairus who fell at Jesus' feet and he pleaded earnestly with him to come and put his hands on his dying daughter that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him to his home where his little daughter lay. And he took her by the hand and he healed her. Just showing up is radical. When we're aware of someone who's sick, us just showing up and just seeing how they're doing or can I pray for you or man, I heard you're really sick. I brought over some chicken noodle soup, you know, just showing up when someone's sick or you might be aware that, you know, someone just lost a spouse or a loved one and just showing up at their house and bringing them some flowers or a card or something you know that would bless them. Or maybe you know someone's in the hospital and just showing up and visiting them. Just showing up is radical. And one of the best examples that I have in my life is one of my dad's closest friends, John, who, John Malloy, who just recently passed away. John Malloy just showed up unannounced. If you were sick, he would just show up at your house and just see how you're doing. If you were in the hospital, John Malloy just showed up. If you just lost a a spouse, John Malloy showed up. He did that for my family and he's done that for many countless families. When my dad was at USC for two weeks with cancer, John Malloy just showed up just hung out, talked to my dad, talked sports, just hung out. When my dad passed away of cancer and my mom was home alone, and John Malloy lives in Los Angeles, just jumps in his car unannounced, drives about a few hours, goes to my mom's house, brings her flowers, just sits down with her, you know, not for a long time, how, how, how are you doing, talks to her, and then just goes his way. When John Malloy would visit Ventura, he would literally just show up at my house unannounced, 
to see how our family is doing. And it was really brief. You just like walk in, how are you guys doing, just checking up on you, and then walk out. Just showing up is radical. And I want to encourage us, because you know what you don't see in Scripture, especially with Jesus, he always showed up unannounced. He always showed up unannounced. But it, in today's culture, I feel like we've, we feel like we got to get permission. Like, oh, I really do want to show up and bring these flowers or visit the hospital or bring some flowers. But gosh, I, I mean, maybe I need to get their permission or I don't want to bother them. Or you know what I want to encourage us today with is just show up unannounced. Don't overthink it. If God has put something on your heart for somebody, then show up unannounced. Because just showing up is radical. What's radical is when God calls you to share the gospel with a close friend, a family member, or possibly someone in a prominent position or a place of power. An example of this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch found in Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. When an angel of the Lord told Philip, go down a desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Then the Spirit told Philip to specifically go and explain the scriptures, the book of Isaiah the prophet, to an Ethiopian eunuch of prominent position who was seeking God. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus, in which the Ethiopian eunuch believed, and he came to faith in Christ, and he was baptized right there in the desert. This is so cool. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I mean, the Holy Spirit, God specifically saying, Philip, go down the desert, then go up to that eunuch's uh, chariot, share the book of Isaiah, the eunuch gets saved, and then the eunuch's like, hey, I mean, why not just baptize me right here? And it's so radical that God wants to do that in our lives. Obeying God's voice is radical. Obeying God's voice is radical when the Holy Spirit is telling you to go share the gospel with a neighbor or a close friend, or a family member, or maybe someone in a prominent position of power, that God wants to use you. You never know where it's going to happen. I mean, recently I was getting out of uh, C Street from surfing. I'm just in the parking lot, and I get to start talking to this young guy who is from Belgium. And, and obviously, God opened up the door for me to share the gospel with him, and he was super interesting. He didn't agree with everything I said, but we had a really great conversation about Jesus. And he didn't get saved, but how radical would it be that if you led someone to the Lord, me at the beach, and you just like baptized them right there. Just the person gets saved, and you're like, well, let's just baptize you right here. Obeying God's voice is radical. What's radical for those of us who are husbands is loving our wives as Christ led the church by serving them. An example of us loving and serving our wives is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet 
found in John 13, verses 1 through 17, when Jesus, who was God in the flesh, revealed his love to his disciples when after the Passover meal, he got up, he took, his outer, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist, then poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Serving our wives is radical, and I'm speaking this to myself. Husbands, can I encourage you with anything? If I can encourage you with just one thing, one simple, practical way that you can start serving your wife is when either you get home from work or your wife gets home from work and you simply ask her, is there anything I can do for you? Is there any way I can help you? And maybe your spouse, your wife says, yeah, is there any way you could just kind of just play with the kids why well, kind of get the meal together? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe one of the rooms is dirty or something, and she just says, can you just like clean that room and just kind of get it ready? And you simply say, yes, I'll do that. Your servant is here. No, <laughs> don't say that. I mean, maybe that is, maybe, maybe some wives would want you to say that. So if that would be good for you, then say that. Or just simply do it. You know, and I just want to encourage wives. If your husband asks for help or how can I serve you, how can I help you, they need to hear from you specific. Make it really simple and specific. Can you do this? Yes, I can do that. I can do that. Obeying God's voice. I mean, serving our wives is radical. And yet we as men complicate it. So let's not complicate it any longer. Let's just start asking our wives, how can I serve you? How can I help you? Because serving our wives is radical. Amen. Amen. What's radical is when God calls you to start a prayer meeting at your place of work, especially at a workplace that is a worldly environment with very few Christians. One of my close friends, R.J. Hosking, is living this out. And I'd like to invite him up at this time to share a brief testimony about, how, about following Jesus in radical obedience. So let's welcome up R.J. Hosking. Check, check. Hey, church. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Uh, my name is RJ, and I would have never picked myself to be the guy to share with you today. But considering that Chad asked me, and since he's kind of a big deal, I agreed to share my simple story. <clears throat> I've lived in Ventura for the last 12 years with my sweet, beautiful wife, Anna, and our three wild kiddos, who you've mainly seen ripping through the church. Um, We've attended reality since the early carp days. I want to start by saying I'm honestly just an average dude, not a theologian, not particularly well-read, definitely one who does not have it all together. Rather, I relate more to a messy, super selfish friend, husband, father, who relies on forgiveness every day. 
But by God's grace, though, I do walk this messy life with my friend Jesus. Through all the thick and thin, praise him. Over the years and unbeknownst to me, God was softening me up to the idea to take some simple steps to live a life worthy of a calling at my workplace at Patagonia. So what does that look like? That tribe, the tribe at Patagonia, often lives better lives than most Christians do in the American church. I mean, they value family. They take care of the earth. They invest in raising kids well and have many of their priorities straight in terms of living a proper, moral, good life. But when tragedy strikes, it becomes evidently clear of a lack of hope beyond the unseen. It's the hope that I and a small handful of guys and gals profess at the Patagonia campus. When our close friend and coworker Michelle at Pat was diagnosed with stage four cancer, the entire Patagonia community came alongside our friend and her family in radical ways beyond comprehension. When my wife Anna and I asked in what ways we could specifically help, there wasn't much they tangibly needed at the time. I mean, meals were covered, errands were taken care of, their kiddo drop-off schedule was in order, and so on. The Patagonia community stepped up in huge ways to come alongside our dear friends in such difficult times. That said, it dawned on me and a couple of like-minded guys at work that the best thing we could do for her and her family was to pray. It was simple, yet powerful, and we could do it. After kicking around a few ideas and a whole lot of prayer, and of course for my wife's encouragement, Praise, praise our wives. Um, and a slight nudge from Jesus. A couple of us guys at work decided to start a little prayer time at work devoted to praying specifically for Michelle and her family. We began meeting in a Volkswagen camper van every week in the Patagonia parking lot at a set meeting time midweek to lift her and her family up. We eventually coined this meeting van time. <clears throat> well... That small prayer group grew as the months went on, and God blessed our small steps of obedience. It has grown from three guys to about eight to ten guys now, which means we often have to pop the top of the camper van to squeeze us all in. When the van is full, it's a sight to see. As the Spirit of God did his thing through van time, we began broadening our prayers to pray for one another and to pray for the hearts and souls of our community at work. The fruit of van time is evident. We've had guys recommit, their lives back to the Lord. Some serious heartfelt tears have been shared. Encouragement and boldness within our small group grew. Eventually, Michelle's husband, Mark, began coming to Van Time himself. And he's not here right now, but um, if I could quote him, he said, well, if you guys are praying for me, my family and I, I guess I should be there. We've had some coworkers who don't know the Lord literally join us for Van Time. Praise God. Some have joined our community groups over the years, and some are sitting next to you in this church service right now. God is on the move. We simply said yes to a little thing, and now we have the privilege to partake in the bigger picture of what he is doing through us and around us. If God can do a work through a sinful man in his van, like me, just imagine what the coastlands would look like if others like you took a small, simple step of saying yes when you get the nudge. I'm not radical, neither is the van, but Jesus is radical. And he is at work, and all we need to do is join him. Love you. Thank you.
Thanks, RJ. It's so encouraging, and I hope you are encouraged by that. RJ's testimony is so encouraging in light of what is radical. What's radical is when we as God's people are aware of how God is speaking to us, moving us, nudging us, and in response, we as God's people making ourselves available to be used by God. Making ourselves available is radical. Just being aware of what God is doing in our midst or in our neighborhood or in our city or in our place of work. How God is moving in my heart and how the Spirit is stirring in me. And then me making myself available. You making yourself available. Making ourselves available is radical. This is so important, being aware and allowing ourselves to be available to be used by God. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Be aware and make yourself available. What's radical is the significance of what God does and will do through our steps of of obedience, even small steps of obedience. God's kingdom is expanding and being manifested on earth as it is in heaven. Do we understand that? That we as the people of God, when we are surrendered and full of the Holy Spirit, that when we go into our places of work and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our cities, that we actually usher in the kingdom of God? that we are bringing the very kingdom of God into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our schools. This is radical. This should be our prayer every day. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't know what God will do with one small step of obedience. All great and significant works of God started with prayer and steps of faith. If you study church history, if you study all the great revivals of church history, if you study all the great missionary movements of history, they all started with prayer. Just little groups, little bands of people beginning to pray because God stirred in them. God gave them a burden And then through those prayers, people taking steps of faith. It's radical. We don't know what God will do with one small step of obedience. Just as RJ said, just imagine what the coastlands would look like if others like you took the small, simple step of saying yes when you get the nudge. I am not radical, neither is the van. But Jesus is radical and he is at work. All we need to do is join him. That's all we need to do. I am so stirred by that. I mean, what, could we just imagine what God wants to do in the coastlands if we just said yes and we took, began to take those simple steps of obedience and joined him? 
What's radical may look like a myriad of different things when it comes to denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following Jesus. But radical obedience is simply hearing and obeying the voice of God in our lives. However God is leading us to lay down our lives and live by faith. In closing, the heart of this message and what I truly believe God has been stirring in me by His Spirit for our church, specifically as a local body of believers, is this. When it comes to radical obedience, that we as God's chosen people would be faithful and focused in our spheres of influence where God has sovereignly placed us. In our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our schools, in our places of recreation, and yes, in our homes. That we would know and believe where God has placed you, He intends to use you. Where God has placed you, He intends to use you. I want to encourage you with this, especially for those of you that maybe don't like your city that much. You're like, I'd rather live in this city than the city I'm currently living in. No, where God has placed you, He intends to use you. Maybe your neighborhood, for some reason you don't really like your neighborhood. Where God has placed you, He intends to use you. Maybe in your place of work, maybe work is really challenging, really difficult right now. Maybe you don't have the greatest boss right now. Where God has placed you, He intends to use you. In your school or your places of recreation, where God has placed you, He intends to use you. And in our homes, in our homes, I want to speak to moms right now. If you're a mom, and especially a mom with small children, I know being a mom can be really discouraging at times. And I know at times being a mom that you could feel like your calling as a mom is really insignificant. I understand getting discouraged, but if in any way you as a mom feel that your calling is insignificant, that is from the devil. That is from the pit of hell. That is a lie. Because I personally believe one of the highest callings, one of the highest and most significant callings is being a mom. Is being a mom. In the context that if God has given you children, then God is calling you to pour into those kids, to love those kids, to disciple those kids. And don't let the devil lie to you and cause you to try and find your significance in something else. Because that's a constant temptation for moms to feel, try to find their significance in a different role or a different job or this or that. Again, my encouragement to you as moms, especially with young kids or challenging kids, your role, your call is significant. Where God has placed you, He intends to use you. 
As it says in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 and 5 and verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. If that was true for God's exiles in Babylon, it would seem to be even more true for Christian exiles in this very Babylonian world. What then shall we do? We should do the ordinary things that need to be done. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and seek the welfare of the place where God has sent you. Think of yourself as sent there by God because you are. Our obedience as God's people is the way God manifests His glory in our culture, in our cities. As it says in Psalm 23.3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Radical obedience exists for the glory of God. We are led in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Pray to the Lord on behalf of your city. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask for great and good things to happen in your city, in your neighborhoods, in your places of work, and in your schools. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me. And I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. Things that you don't know. God wants to do great things and good things. As we call upon Him, I really believe with all my heart, and I'm starting to witness that God is awakening people. He's awakening people to the beauty and the glory and the goodness and salvation of Jesus. And who knows? Only God knows. Maybe we are on the brink of some revival or some sort of great awakening. And God is calling us as believers to be praying and believing that God wants to do great and good things in our city. I believe that. And I hope and pray you believe that and that God wants to use you. We will serve our cities best by praying and making ourselves available as His ambassadors. We will do our city most good by calling as many of its citizens as we can to be citizens of the Jerusalem above. So let's live in such a way that the natives of our communities will want to meet our King. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is radical obedience. By letting our light shine before men, 
and bringing glory to our Father in heaven as we obey His voice, deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow Jesus every day, all day. God's kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to end this morning with some questions for us to consider. What's God doing around you that you can join Him in? Excuse me. I'll say that again. What's God doing around you that you can join Him in? Is there something God is calling you, stirring in you, nudging you to take a step of faith? How is God calling you to specifically to be a blessing to those in your city and or sphere of influence? Is there a specific situation or area that Jesus is calling you to lay down your life? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, first and foremost, we just want to say yes and amen to your love. Yes and amen to your grace. Yes and amen to your mercy. God, we thank you that it was because of love and grace and mercy that you delivered us out of darkness and brought us into your glorious light to know you, to enjoy you, to be on mission with you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends this morning, however the Holy Spirit has spoken to them, would you give them the grace to respond? Would you give them the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in whatever truth that you have called them to? And so God, pour out your Spirit upon my friends. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Baptize them afresh in the Holy Spirit that we could be your witnesses in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our schools and places of recreation that we could bring your name glory and that many would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.